So once again, welcome everyone to the services tonight. Thankful to be here and thankful to continue our study on how to be effective teachers in God's kingdom. Now, um, if I was to ask this room this evening, if everybody thought it was a good idea for them to read and to study the scriptures, I think everybody would agree that that's a great thing to do. However, whenever I examine my own life and whenever you maybe examine your life, do you think that maybe there's some room for improvement in the way that we study God's word? And we get really excited to share God's word. And then when actually we get in there, sometimes we get overwhelmed. And uh, so tonight we'd like to talk about how we can approach the scriptures and study and then uh, lead that to us teaching the scriptures as well. In order for us to be good teachers of the word, we need to be good students of the word. And tonight I'd like to talk about how we rightly divide the word of truth as we can read. Now, whenever I think about the power of the scriptures, it, it really becomes overwhelming almost to a point to think about how powerful these words are. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, it says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And in Luke eleven twenty-eight, it says, But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. This is something that it says endures forever, something that can lead to blessing in our life. And whenever I think about reading the scriptures and when I start to study the scriptures, think about the words that are there. Now, the words of God, what does it mean to be the words of God? You know, the, the words that were used to speak this entire creation into existence, that same God has shared these words in the scriptures with us. What a powerful thing. Powerful enough to create this entire earth, powerful enough to change our souls. We're dealing with a very powerful thing, and it can be a great blessing to us, but it can also lead to destruction or be a curse if it's not approached in the right way. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16, it says, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeking ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now, in this particular situation, he's talking about some of the teachings that he gave about uh, the end of the world or the end of time. And he says some of these things are hard to be understood. And if you're not stable and if you're unlearned, these things can lead to destruction. You know, sometimes there, there's really two ways that we can be misled by the Scriptures. The first one is unintentionally, and that's just by us, uh, you know, misunderstanding what the Scripture has to say. And then there are also false teachers out there that will intentionally twist the Scriptures to mean something different than they really, than they really mean. Both of those things lead to destruction. So just as rightly dividing the Word of Truth, reading the Scriptures and drawing the right things out can lead to great blessings... If we draw the wrong things out, it could lead to our own destruction. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, or verse 6 through 9, it says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. 
He reaffirms here that there's only one gospel. And even if you think an angel of God has come and given you a special revelation, if it's different than the gospel that has been preached, then it's not true. Now, as we come up as teachers before this congregation and teach the word of God, we need to understand that this room is full of fact checkers. This room is full of people who study the word of God. And you, if you're not up here teaching, Take that as a serious responsibility. You are a fact checker. You are a student of the word of God. And you need to make sure that what is taught in the pulpit and what uh, is taught throughout the world. And whenever you go out and share the gospel with somebody, you need to make sure that what you're teaching is the truth, is the true word of God, not some other gospel, not a perversion. If you don't take that seriously as your role to fact check these things, to study them when you go home and before you get up into this pulpit to thoroughly review these things, then we can find ourselves finding a false gospel, something that's perverted from the truth. That's something we need to take very seriously. We need to understand the power of these scriptures. Now, we're going to see a lot of different types of studies, a lot of different types of teaching that we do from this pulpit and I think we've done all types of these from this pulpit here. You know, we've done book studies where we talked about just the entire book of Leviticus that Seth had. You know, that's a challenge to do, but uh, he did a good job teaching that. We do chapter studies. We do studies on just one verse of the Scriptures. Sometimes we do studies on one particular word, sometimes over uh, characters, which we'll be doing again soon, and sometimes over certain topics. Now, it's important as someone who's developing a sermon to decide what the purpose of what you're, what you're going to teach is and to, to pick one of these things and to stick to it. Um, if you go up here and try to freeform, you're going to find yourself way off on all these trails that don't bring together a coherent thought. But all of these are, are good ways to approach the Word of God to say, I would like to figure out what this book of the Bible is actually saying, or I'd like to figure out what this word really means in the Scriptures, or I'd like to look at this topic and really try to capture this topic and share it with the congregation. It's important, important for us to put a purpose in front of us. Now, as we approach the Scriptures, we need to prepare ourselves for success. We need to prepare ourselves to adequately look at the Scriptures and to look at it in the right attitudes. We need to have a mind that's ready to learn. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody or or teach something to somebody who is closed-minded? You know, our society thinks that open-mindedness is a virtue, and open-mindedness is certainly a virtue when we look at the Word of God. Our mind needs to be open to learn the truths that the Word has to say, to put aside the biases of maybe what we personally think is the best idea. And if the Scriptures have showed us anything, it's over and over that we don't always have the best ideas. And we need to open up our minds to what the Scriptures have to say. We also need to have an honest heart whenever we approach the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, it says, But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. If our heart is not going to be honest with what it reads in the Scriptures, then it is not going to produce any fruit. We had a parable of Jesus to teach us that, that our heart needs to be open and also needs to be honest as we approach the Scriptures. 
And we need to have a desire to know the truth. In Luke chapter 7, verse 17, it says, And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region about. I'm talking about some people that were focusing on rumors and not necessarily the truth. You know, there's a lot of things that we can hear. There's things we can see on the TV and hear on the radio that are, are not based in the truth of the Scriptures. And we need to know, as we prepare ourselves to study, to be ready to teach, we need to set those things aside and have a desire to really know the truth. We also need to get our environment set up the right way. We need to have a proper study environment. We need to set aside anything that's going to distract us from our study of the Bible. And we need to spend time meditating on the Scriptures being studied. Now, this isn't going to be sitting cross-legged, saying ohms or anything like that. Meditation just simply means to revolve something in your mind. Did you ever stew something over? Have you, have you ever used that before? That's what it means to meditate, to read something and to really spend the time to think about it. You know, there is benefit from just reading through the scriptures, uh, you, you know, reading almost for the sake of reading. But whenever we want to prepare a study and we want to teach, we want to really stew over those things. We want to roll those principles over in our mind. When we read a scripture, we want to give it reverence and focus that it deserves to meditate on those things. The study of God's Word is worthy of a dedicated focus. It's worthy of us spending the time to find a place where we can get away from distractions and study those things and we can truly lend our attention to stewing over, to to really meditating on what the Scripture has to say. And for us to be effective teachers, we need to set aside that time to do that. We also need to establish our, our purpose. We need to determine the goal for our study. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now this gave us a list that you know we've talked about several times, but let's refresh. What do these things mean? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. First of all, doctrine, I think you could simply put that as just instruction in truths. Doctrine is just reading the Word of God, drawing out a truth, and saying this is a truth that, that comes from God's Word. What about reproof? Reproof means it's a, it's a proof for conviction. Have you ever felt convicted by the Word of God? Whenever you read the Word of God and you see the things that you do in your life and the things that the Word of God says we should do in our lives, and it convicts you, that's, that's a... That's an intended purpose of the Word of God. That's reproof. How about correction? Um, that just means straightening up or, or making something right, showing how to correct a problem. The Bible gives us correction whenever we find ourselves lacking in certain ways. When we find ourselves having trouble, the Bible can provide correction. How about instruction in righteousness? Well, that one uh, explains itself. It's just training on how to do the right thing. And the Bible certainly provides that for us. So as a teacher of God's word, think about what is my purpose in doing this? Am I just going to to talk about truths that are in God's word? Am I going to try to convict the congregation and to show them that this is something that the Bible has convicted me about? And this is a way that we need to change. How about correction? Do we need to provide a way and provide a path for the congregation or for the person we're teaching to come back to the truth or to, to come to resolution with something that God has convicted us about? How about instruction in righteousness? Are we just trying to help people do the right thing and make right decisions? We need to have that idea in mind as we approach how we're going to teach the Scriptures. 
The last thing I have that we need to do in self-preparation is to gather all the information we can on whatever topic we chose with the purpose we have in mind. Now, uh, in A here, it talks about using sources of reference. Now, Craig is going to talk about that tonight. He's going to talk about how we can identify reliable sources to use and, and filter out sources that may not be reliable and how to use some of those tools. And there are a lot of people here that are available to help develop on how you can use those tools. And Saturday is going to be uh, another opportunity where we can learn about some of those things. We can use the information we read in these to, to brainstorm, to ask questions. We do the classic who, what, when, where, why, and how. Uh, we learn those in school all the time. And they apply to the scriptures as well. We could write down thoughts, but we need to remember that these are, are just aids, and we need to focus on the Word of God, and the Word of God is where the power is. The Word of God is where the power to change souls is, and that's what we need to focus on. And whenever we gather up all these things, we need to make sure that we're staying focused on the purpose and the topic that we set forth. So how many times have you read the scriptures and before you know, you have a pile this tall of very interesting information that would not be adequately given uh, out in a sermon in 30 or 40 minutes? And that happens all the time. But think about what do I really need to convey the purpose and the topic that I've set forth to do? What's really going to get me to the goal of understanding that we have for the congregation here? How's that going to help me? Now, the next thing I'd like to look at is how we actually look at the Scriptures or what we consider the Scriptures that we're looking at. You know, a very important thing is to find a usable Bible we put here, a Bible that's actually the Bible. And there's a lot of things that are labeled Bible out there that are not really anything that came from the Word of God. Now, there's a lot of translations, and you, we know that the source texts come from Greek and Hebrew, and people have translated that in different ways. There's thought-for-thought thought translations. There's word-for-word word translations. And there's also these things called transliterations, which are, well, I took uh, somebody uh, changes from Greek to English, and I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to take their translation, and I'm going to retranslate that in a way that makes more sense to me a.k.a. something like the Message Bible, which uh, if you read a, a, a verse in the Message Bible versus another Bible, they can be very different. So we want to get as close to the source text as we can. We think about using Bibles in this congregation as we teach, like the King James Version, the New King James, the American Standard Version, or the English Standard Version. And I encourage you, uh, in, in the time you have in studying the Scriptures, to look at how each of those is made. And, and you've got to give some thought to how this Bible was prepared in front of me, and how close is that to the source text, to, to the Word of God as it was first written. We also need to be ready to read the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, it says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which is in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So simply put, when we find the Scriptures in front of us, we just need to read them. And that seems very simple to us and, and second nature, but mankind in the past has not had a Scripture to read. And we've been given this great blessing. We need to sit down and read these Scriptures. And when we read them with an open mind and an open heart, looking for the truth, we need to trust in the Word of God. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. 
In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even dividing asunder the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And his, he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We need to not forget that the power is in the words of God. That's where the power is. The power is not in those other sources that we find. The power is not in my own powerful intellect here. The power is in the word of God. Those same words of God that created the universe have the power to change souls and to change lives today. And we need to remember that as teachers, that the power is in his word. And I'm going to throw out some words here for you now. Uh, this makes it sound hard, but it's, it's not a hard thing. Think about the words hermeneutics and exegesis. So basically the word hermeneutics is, is simply put, it's just uh, interpreting the Word of God. It's just the method we use to interpret the Word of God. And exegesis is using the rules of interpretation on a particular passage. So up here we have exegesis. Uh, it comes from the word ex, meaning out, and agathe. I think, uh, meaning to guide or to lead. So it basically means we're putting out the effort to draw out the meaning of that particular passage or to draw out the meaning of that text. So hermeneutics is the method and exegesis is the action of doing that method. Now, when we think about the rules of hermeneutics, I've got several things up here that I can think really help you as you attempt to put together a study to teach the Word of God. The first one is the definition so this is what the heart of hermeneutics is. Just think about, as I'm reading this passage, am I looking at this? Do I actually know what all the words mean? Now, I challenge you, next time you read the Scripture, read through that, and when you read a word, say, do, could I define that to my spouse? Could I define that to one of my friends? Think about words like, like faith. How do you define faith? What about, uh, what about justification? How would you define the word justification? You know, all these things are important for us to understand and, and warrant a lot of study. And so I challenge you as you read the Scriptures and as you're putting together your teaching, and ask myself, do I understand what all the words mean? Could I share that with somebody? The second one is usage. How is this word used elsewhere in the Bible? We, we talk about this a lot whenever we talk about the remission, uh, being baptized for the remission of sins. And that word for is, is twisted by some people. When you look at the other times, that word for is, it doesn't mean because of, but it means for. And we can use that. And whenever we read a word and we say, how does this word really apply? Look where other passages where that word is used. How about the context? It's very important to read before and after the particular verse you're, you're looking at to understand what was going on around that sentence. I can't tell you how many times I ask Katie, uh, context please, whenever she tells me about something that happened, she'll, she'll dive right into that story and poor me, I can't remember. And so I have to ask for that context. Our comprehension can't happen unless we have the context around that passage. How about the history? What's the background in the life and times when those words were said? Try to understand just who said it and, and where it was said, why it was said. All those things can be captured in understanding the history. How about just applying logic, applying logical reasoning? How does this interpretation make sense? If I was to interpret this passage this way, does it make sense? How about precedent? Do we utilize any other cases in the Scriptures to show the consistency of the Scriptures? What about unity? Whenever I interpret this passage this way, does it maintain the unity of the Scriptures as a whole? We're told that the Scriptures are unified and the Scriptures are true. So does my interpretation of this match the unity of the Scriptures? How about inference? 
you know, using inferences is, is dangerous, but we can utilize inferences sometimes when it's established by a lot of evidence. If you could go to somebody who maybe even doesn't follow the Scriptures, and you could provide them all this evidence, and they would say, yeah, even I would infer that that is what that means, using our context and all those other tools to infer what that means. But overall, there's a, some guidelines we'd like to look at. First of all, we use common sense. We don't need to overthink it. We remember the story of Naaman the leper in Second Kings where he said, Behold, I thought that God would do all these things to heal me. But what God did was actually a lot simpler to heal him. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in the way we think things should go and the way we thought that should be, but the Scripture is actually much simpler. So we need to stay away and we need to try to use our common sense and, and stick to the simple things. How about asking who was the writer or speaker? Who was the addressed in the passage? Who or what is being spoken of? What's the composition of the writing? Is it a book of poetry, of law? Is it a parable? Is it a prophecy of Christ? Ask when it was written. Ask what was the place of the writing. Using all those, herm- those techniques of hermeneutics to help us. Now, as you're putting together a sermon, I encourage you to, to put lists like this and write them down on a piece of paper and develop those thoughts and then put them into a, 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 a concise and logical format that you can share with other people. Now, Craig's also going to help us by going through some reference materials that we can use to accomplish these things. But, but overall, tonight, I hope that whenever you approach the Scriptures, you get excited to study the Word of God. Don't forget to get excited about the Word of God. These are the very words of God. That takes, rev- uh, that takes reverence. That takes some focus. It warrants us giving a concentrated and focused effort towards understanding what it means and applying it to our lives and teaching it to other people. I think it's for um, focusing on these things, and Brother Craig will take us the rest of the way and help us put together a sermon. Well, thank uh, Levi for presenting that so well. Uh, you know, he said we need to get excited about the Word of God, and when I open my book, I get excited about the Word of God. There's a lot he mentioned how powerful the Word was, and there's a lot of things in this world that... Uh, are certainly men's opinions, but you know when you open the Bible, it's truth, and uh, you can you can count on the Word of God, and that's what excites me. Is I can have faith in what it says that it, that it's true. We want to talk a little bit about some reference material. Uh, I'm sure if you've put in some study time, you've gone to other books and you've looked up words, and you probably read. Uh, uh, other people's opinions about things. And so we're going to mention a little bit about that and uh, how to use some of that tonight. These are reference materials. Now then, when you're studying reference materials, you need to understand and remember that it is not the Word of God. They do not constitute the Word of God. And let me just show you what I mean. There's a, a commentary, and I use this set quite a bit, College Press Commentary. And if I read a verse that I have a hard time understanding, I've looked up the words, I know what they mean, but I'm still not getting the idea of that passage, I might open this book and I'll read someone else's opinion about the verse. And I have to understand it's their opinion and not the Word of God. It's their opinion. It would be no different than you studying the Bible and then you writing another book saying this is what this verse means. Uh, 
That would be your opinion. And that's what a commentary is. And so we need to understand that commentaries and reference materials do not constitute the Word of God. The Bible constitutes the Word of God. And we need to, we need to remember that. We always come back to this. This is truth. This is the Word of God. And reference materials are simply the opinions of other men, other people. Now, it may help us get an idea of what the verse means and, and get us started on the right track, maybe. And, but we need to understand there's also men who wrote things that would get us off track. They write with their religious bias. In other words, they have a set of religious beliefs and they're going to write in, in that bias. They're going to write what it means based upon their particular religious ideology. And so sometimes reference material is not very, uh, very accurate. And we need to be very careful about some of them that we use. I want to start with a very basic reference material. I remember when I was a child, I sat next to my grandmother and my grandfather in church. And I would uh, grab my grandfather's Bible. And in the, his Bible, it had a centerline reference. And that's if you, sometimes you may have a Bible and it has a center line in, in that page. And I used to go through there and I'd look up all them verses instead of listening to the teaching. But I'd listen to, I'd look up all those verses. And it's one of the very basic reference materials that you can use that are in some Bibles. And I'm going to show you how to use that just briefly. And here's a particular picture, picture of 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is the center line, what we would call center line reference. And you may buy a Bible and it may say center line reference Bible. And that's what it means. It has a center line that has references in the Bible. Now then, it also, it, some on short chapters like this particular one, it has some of the references here where the page is not long enough. And so they put the references to the side. And so that's what that is. They piled it all over here instead of down the center. Uh, now then, you may also uh, notice that, look at verse 7 here. Let me get this pointer right. In, in verse 7, it has a Q. So you're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, and it says Q there, by the trial of your faith. I've written it in a big box so you can see it see a little better. And so to find out what that means or what that's talking about or the reference to that, you look down here and you find a reference, the first chapter, the seventh verse, and the Q. You see, and it lists James 1 and, and also a verse in chapter 4, verse 12. And those passages gives you a, a verse or a text that is in re relationship to what you're reading. In other words, it might have the same idea or it might explain it a little better in another verse with a few different words. And so that's how you use that. You look up that little letter in that particular verse and then you can look up those other verses and it would give you some idea. Now then also you're going to see some things in, the, in your centerline Bible down at the bottom, there's a little A3 GR much. And what that means is that it's given you, in the third verse, there's a little A somewhere. 
And the Greek word means much for whatever that word is. So let's look at it. Here's chapter 3, or verse 3. And the little a is on the word abundant. So the word abundant in the Greek means much. So uh, it is blessed, blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his much or abundant mercy hath begotten us again into the lively hope. So it gives you another meaning of the word or the Greek meaning to that word so that you can understand it better. Now then you also see that sometimes it just gives you a few more words. For example, here in the fourth verse, the little letter B means or or for us. So in verse 4, we go through here and find B. Here's B. And it says, for you, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It also could mean or for us in the sense that he's writing in the third person he, for all of us, for you. And so that gives you a little clarity on those words. So that's how you use that reference. If you have a centerline Bible, then that's how you use it. Now, then I realize the electronic age is upon us. And uh, centerline Bibles are kind of going away. And so we have our cell phones, and we look up those words, and, and sometimes we don't have a Bible that has that. There are, but if you have one, that's how you use that. That's a good reference. Sometimes I'll have my Bible, and the preacher will be preaching along here, and he'll read a verse that has the word in it, and I'll go, hmm, I wonder what that word means. And so I'll look up in my centerline reference there, and then I'll look it up and see what if it has anything to add there while the, while the sermon's going on. So, uh, all right. Reference material again. There are we mentioned commentaries, and I held up this this particular set. There are many different sets of commentary. Many different men have written commentaries. And like we said, they are simply a person's opinion about what that verse means. They sat down, they go, well, I think this verse means this. And so they write that what they think it means in this book. And you look it up and say, okay, well, that gives me an idea or maybe a better understanding. Remember that not all commentaries are religiously right. You have to understand that they're written in a man's opinion or a person's opinion and it is not God's word. So if you read it and it contradicts what the Bible says, you know, the Bible is always right. So stay with the Bible. And here's some different commentaries that, um, that I use that are commonly used. College Press Bible Study Textbook Series. That's this particular green set. Uh, we have a few of those in the office. So sometime if you need to use one of those or study, you can come up here and and go back there in the conference room and use that. Uh, a set that I've used early on was a Gospel Advocate New Testament series, and it's a commentary just on the New Testament. Uh, there's a commentary called the People's New Testament, or B by B.W. Johnson. I used to call it my Johnson's uh, uh, commentary. So uh, it was written by this man. So you can look up a verse, and he will tell you what he feels like it means. Some com uh, more common ones, 
uh, maybe more worldwide is Matthew Henry commentary, Barnes notes on the New Testament, Adam Clark commentary. Uh, if you've got uh, a, a computer program, a lot of times it'll have treasury of scripture knowledge in it. Many of these, if not all of these, are available on computer pro Bible programs. So if you have a computer Bible program, you can get these a lot of times for free. Uh, and they, they're just commentaries that you can use. But always remember they're a person's opinion and not Scripture. So use them in light of, I know the Bible is true. I'm trying to find out what the Bible says or how it applies to me. Get all these different opinions and then go back to the Bible and make sure you understand what the Bible is saying. There's some books called Lexicons. And lexicons are dictionaries that define foreign languages. Define foreign languages. For example, affairs. Affairs Greek, English lexicon. Affairs would define a Greek word. And the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so those words in Greek have been translated into English. And this man, particularly man Thayer, he put all of these words or translated these words into English. And so you can go through there and you can look up a word that in its original Greek and, and say, okay, it was used in this way in this Greek. And I'll show you some of that here in a minute. Uh, Gesenius, uh, Gesenius is just like the Greek, but it's for Hebrew. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Chaldee. And so the original text that, you know, that was way back there, we could have someone translate that Hebrew or translate that for us. Gesenius is one of those that does that. Uh, he, he translates that Hebrew and Chaldee of the Old Testament. Now, there's another book called Wigram's that I use sometimes, Wigram's Englishman. And what it does is it takes a Greek word in the New Testament and it says, okay, here's what this word means. And here's another word in Greek that means the similar. So I, I would have two different words that are similar in meaning. And that's, that's what Wig, Wigram's does. Then there's the interlinear Bible. Some of you may, may have an interlinear Bible. And what it does is, for example, in the New Testament, it would have the English, it would have the English words like the Bible has. And then above it, it would have uh, it would have the Greek or Hebrew words, and then, well, probably on the bottom, and then on top it would have numbers. It would have some numbers there, and those numbers will tell you where to look up that word in, say, like the Strong's uh, exhaustive uh, concordance, and that's that's what this big red book is. Many of you probably have have one of those. Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Now, concordance is uh, an alphabetical dictionary. In other words, you look up words alphabetically in here. So if I wanted to look up the word uh, Abraham, I would go to, to, depending on whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, I would look up Abraham in the A's, and it would give me uh, a number. And then I would look in the back of the book for that number. And that number then would tell me what the Greek for Abraham was or the Hebrew for Abraham was. 
And the lexicon that before we talked about, the interlinear Bible, would match that number. And so you could go to a different book and look up that same number because, I'll be honest with you, I don't read Greek. So I have to have a number. <laughs> so I can take that number and I can go to several different books that are that use that numbering system and I can find out what that word means. And I know that's, that's kind of a... Uh, complicated sometimes, but uh, we can do that through these books. And there are several that are commonly used, Strong's Exhaustive, Erdman's Analytical, and Young's Analytical. They all do kind of the same thing. Uh, You can look up those words. Now, in Strong's, it says exhaustive. And what that means is that every word is placed in its alphabetical order every time it's used. There are some uh, that, like concordances, like the Crudence Concordance, that does not. A Crudence will only list the word one time in its book. A Strong's will list it in every alphabet. In other words, in every place it's used, it lists it's exhaustive. But Crudence will only list the word one time. And so you have to be careful about that. Of course, Cruden's is not as big a book as Strong's is, so it's a little uh, little less exhaustive. So those are some things that you can use to look up words and look up their meaning. Uh, but notice Strong's, Erdman's, and Young's. Those are three different men. <laughs> there are some of their opinions in there. So you need to be careful about that. Understand that they're defining things may not be exactly what it means. So you just use those as an idea. Now, I'm going to give you an idea how to use the concordance here. Concordance, uh, such as Cruden's, Strong's, Exhausted's, or Young's, uh, it is a concordance, is a list of words in alphabetical order. And so you can look them words up. Now, lexicon, a Greek or Hebrew lexicon, like Strong's that uses... The, they have a lexicon in the back of the book that you look that up. Or Thayer's or Gesenis. Sometimes it's verse and, and tense sense specific. In other words, it will not only tell you what the meaning is, but it'll tell you what the verb, whether it's a verb or an adverb, it'll tell you the tense that it's used in. If that's if you're an English uh, English major and you like that. So most will be coded to the Strong's number. So you can look across those different books uh, with the same number. You can find the number and then look it up in the different books. So to give you an example, John 11, verse 35, it says Jesus wept. All right? So if we went to Strong's, which is this red book, this red book here, we would look up the word wept. And notice it says it gives us a number, G1145. And so what we're doing is translating Greek into math. <laughs> Translating Greek into math. Math's a little easier, and you, it, it's a real stretch for me to say that, folks. So, uh, But I can't read Greek at all, and I can count numbers, so I go by the numbers. And so this is telling us it's a Greek word, and it's 1145. And then here is the pronunciation of the word, and then it tells us it's from 1144. It's a root word here. It means to shed tears or to weep. And then it gives you another word that you can compare that to that might be similar in the Greek. Now, notice in Thayer's, 
it's a little more intense, and sometimes fairs will even go to verse-specific. In other words, this, ver- this word is used in this verse this way, and it's used in this verse in a different way. And so fairs is a little more intense, but here, notice it says Greek 1145, same word, and then it gives you the pronunciation here. It means to weep or shed tears, and notice it gives you the part of speech it is. It's a verb. And so it's also related, a related word by Thayer's and Strong's number 1144. So it gives you a little more information. So if you're really digging down in there and you want to find out what tense it's being used and if it's used in this verse a certain way, uh, Thayer's is a good way to do that. But remember, these are just reference books. It gives you idea, helps you clarify what all those words mean. Now then. Other reference materials are Bible dictionaries. And these are dictionaries that take all the words and they just work. It works like a Webster's dictionary. In other words, you look up the word and it says this is what, this is what the Tower of Babel is. And it tells you where it was and when it was and what it looked like and all that kind of thing. Who was there? It just defines that like a dictionary would. And here are some of those. Uh, Smith's Bible Dictionary, a Vines Expository Dictionary, Easton's Bible Dictionary. Now notice, different men wrote these these books. And so they may differ in some of the definitions because one man may say, well, this is what I think it means. And another man says, well, I think it means this a little different. Now then, if you don't have any of those, you can use a Webster's or a Common Dictionary. If you read in the Bible and there's a word you don't know, try to look it up so you get the understanding. But be careful about Webster's dictionaries because all Webster's are not equal. Uh, There was a word that was looked up in a Webster dictionary and was brought to my attention. And I looked it up in my Webster's dictionary and it had a totally different Meaning to the word. Mine was a Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. And the other person's was a different kind of Webster's Dictionary. And it had a, a total different, different meaning. And so you need to be careful about the words. But make an effort to find out what the word means. Okay. Then there's things like the Nelson's Illustrated Bible. And this would be a, a, a book that shows you some illustrations and pictures about what things look like or may have looked like may even have uh, maps in it, uh, may have uh, black and white photos of somebody excavating a, 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 a site or something like that. So these are all good, uh, good things to use in your search for definitions. Now, even in the back of your Bible, if you have a, a Bible, you, you may find maps. That's a good reference. Sometimes when you're reading about how Paul went from one place to another, look that up in the map and see where he traveled. It helps get a visual uh, to, your, to your study. Topical references. There are books like the Knave's Topical Bible, and it's basically just a book that has topics. So if I want to look up the topic of uh, salvation, I would look up salvation, and it would give me a list of scriptures to look up. And, and to search and to and to study, and so it's a topical Bible. Thompson Chain Reference Bibles—they uh, uh, have a lot of uh, uh, 
references in the Thompson chains. They will have numbers uh, out beside the scriptures, not in the center, but on the sides. And it will have numbers that you look up in the back that will give you a reference of a topic. And they'll have things in there that you can look up. There are some historical references that if you're if you want to read about the history of a time period uh, or the time of Jesus, there are some historical references that are good to use. Like Josephus, the complete work of Josephus, who wrote right after the time of Jesus. Eusebius wrote a little later, but he took uh, some of that historical writings. And, and they wrote the history as they saw it or as they experienced it while they walked uh, close to the time of Jesus. So you can go back and read their writings and they may refer back to someone who actually saw Jesus or someone who actually participated in, in the crucifixion or something like that. And so these are good references to get the idea of what the world was like and what took place in that time period. Internet sources. Now then, the world has come to the internet. In my library, uh, you know, I used to think that all the books that I bought for my library, I was going to give to my my children, you know. And my, I, I mean, there's a lot of money, a lot of money in those books. And I'm just going to, they're going to inherit these books and appreciate it. But, uh, None of them have any of these books. They all have computers. So it's like they probably sell them at a garage sale when it's over. But <clears throat> but anyways, the Internet is a good source, though, because we have it, you can research so fast on the Internet when you're researching. There's church websites that you, you know, we can go to a church website and they may have a sermon that's up there or may have a discussion on a topic that you can really research and and there's also online Bible websites. Bible Gateway was just one that came to my mind that you can type in the different versions and compare them. And there's many of those that you can just bring up on your computer and read the Bible. Uh, I mentioned Bible programs. Uh, we, you can get Bible programs for your phone now. You know, I use the Blue Letter Bible on my phone. Uh, it seems to be a pretty good one. It's free. And so it doesn't cost you anything. And you may talk to several that use different versions of a computer Bible or a phone Bible. But the Bible is accessible to us, and they have these, all these reference materials uh, available. Many books listed above can be found online. And what I meant by that was all the books that we're talking about, the Strong's and the Greek and the Hebrew and all that, usually you can get those in your Bible program. Sermon outline books. I want to mention this. Uh, there are books that are published. Someone, uh, some preacher makes a sermon outline book. He takes 20 of his sermons and he puts them in a book and he publishes that book. And we go to the Bible bookstore and we pull that off and it has all these sermons in there. That is a, that is a sermon outline book. He's put his sermon outlines into this book. They're good to study. But don't use them word for word because that preacher may not have the truth on that matter. He may have a good idea. He may get your mind thinking. He may cause you to study that. But don't quote him. and Don't just copy that sermon and, and get up here and go, well, here's we're going to talk on this sermon, and you preach this guy's outline and not really understand what you're saying because you may get in trouble because he may, be, he may have a false belief and you may just... 
think, well, it's a, it's a sermon, so I'm going to preach it. Well, it may be a wrong sermon. So don't plagiarize the materials. If you use uh, someone else's materials, don't give them credit for that. In other words, uh, I read this man's book, and he had a very good point, and, and you give him credit for that. Okay, so, but be cautious about using this material because they may not be biblically sound. They're, they may just be opinion. Now then, we get down to some really important references. And I believe we haven't used these uh, over the years as probably as much as we should. And I think we need to use them more, more and more. In this congregation, I think we do. We have some good discussions, some good Bible discussions and and I want you to know, I, I believe in an atmosphere where brethren can discuss scriptures together. Because if we can't discuss scriptures together, we're not going to discuss it with the world. If we can't talk scriptures, we're not going to do that with the world. And so it's good to bounce things off my, my brethren. If I have a question, I may ask you, what, what is your opinion about this verse? What do you think this means? I'm seeking information from you. So our brethren... Are other Christians are valuable resources. One of the most valuable resources is our church leaders, elders. Elders are to be apt to teach, capable of teaching. And so they're going to have, uh, the elders are going to be studied in the scriptures or continue to study in the scriptures. And so if you have a question or a Bible question, go to the elders of the church. Deacons are to have the, the, the word, faithful word into their heart. They're to have that in that in their in their heart. Evangelists, they're apt to teach. Same qualification for elders and, and, and evangelists. Apt to teach. Capable. And so we need to use these as resources for study, for information, for asking questions, to help us grow in the Lord. Titus 2, it, uh, he was given instruction to teach the women that they would teach other women. That they would teach people. Our women today, you know, we're, this week we're, we've been talking a lot about uh, putting studies together and, and specifically in the reference of uh, pulpit. But, you know, this material that's being given uh, can be used for you and your personal study so that you can develop studies so that you can teach other people. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I've asked the ladies a question. And say, what is your opinion on that? What do you feel about that? What, what do you think this means? Because there may, I need their opinion. They have good opinions. They have good reasoning. They've studied the scripture. And so I, I crave their, their instruction. So women, you're important and vital to the church. Your opinion matters. Your study matters. Faithful men, 2 Timothy 2 and 2. We teach faithful men that they may teach others. Our brethren are important resources. Brothers and sisters in Christ who know the Word of God, if you have questions, ask the brethren. So some final thoughts as we begin to close here. Have you gathered enough material to thoroughly understand your purpose? And Levi talked about the stacks of, of information. And when I study for a sermon, I just it piles high, and then I have to sift through and cut down and, and make sure I'm to the point and use the best material that gets my point across. And so when you're studying, ask the question, have I gathered enough material to thoroughly understand? Do I understand my purpose? 
If you don't understand your purpose, you can't relay that to the audience. So you've got to understand. Compile enough teaching material to explain it to others. Do you have illustrations? Do you have enough scriptures to get the point across? Uh, Can you relay that message to the audience? Number three, do you have enough material to cause others uh, cause others understanding? Nehemiah 8, and I think this ex- expresses it very well. He was to take the word of God, and it says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. In other words, they read it clearly where it could be understood, not mumble into the microphone and and not be able to pronounce the words. If you're given a, a, a task, learn it, read it, study it so that you can read it. Read the book of the law distinctly and give the sense. In other words, what does this really mean? Read it and give the sense so that people can understand the reading. That's what Nehemiah was was commissioned to do, to give that sense and read that law so that people could understand, and that's the key. We want people to understand the Word of God. If they don't understand it, it's it's useless to them. Does it meet your purpose and your goal? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 19, as it talks about teaching the assembly of the church, it says, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding... That by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. What Paul was saying is if people cannot understand, it's useless. If they can't understand what you're saying, it's of no value. And he said, I'd rather speak 10,000 words where people can understand it. Why? Because they want to take it in. They can put it into their mind and their heart. They can go, I got it. I understand it. Wow, I can walk closer to God because I know what he wants me to do. But if I stood up here and mumbled and I gibberish and, and all, you, you'd go, that's a waste of time. So we need to give the sense of the meeting, give the understanding. Understanding is of the utmost importance. And I'm going to read a, a verse here that's uh, it's already been read tonight, but I think it kind of makes a point. Where Paul says how that by revelation he made known unto me, to me the mystery as I wrote in a four in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now God gave him a revelation. He gave him this word. And you know what he did with it? He wrote it down. He wrote it down. You know why he wrote it down? So that when you read it, you can understand it. Levi taught us the importance of God's word tonight. He, how powerful it is. It created the universe. And God spoke these words to these, these inspired men. And they wrote it down. And we need to read it. We need to understand it. I had a man one time went and preached at the mission. And he came up to me and he said... Uh, You know, they keep talking about God talking to them. How God just talks to them and talks to them and and gives them these messages. And he said, I've been here a long time. And I've never heard God speak. 
You know what I said? Have you ever read the Bible? He goes, yeah, I've read the Bible. I said, you've heard God speak. If you've read the Bible, you have heard God speak. Now, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to relate it to others? We need to know it. God's speaking to us through the written word. Paul said, I wrote it down so that you could understand it. When you read, you can know the mystery and understand this mystery of Christ. What's it all about? Notice what he says, which in other ages was not made known unto the son of men. In other words, God didn't reveal it in that same way to mankind. Oh, he revealed it to prophets and they would prophesy it. But there's a different way he did it today. He revealed it to the apostles and the prophets and they wrote it down. So that we can read and understand this mystery. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. The spirit of God inspired these men to write it. And they wrote it down. And we need to read it. Why? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know why it didn't come in there. I didn't get typed in right. But You see, when we understand the mystery of Christ, we can understand that we can have a relationship with God. We can be fellow heirs In other words, children of God. We can have that relationship with him through the gospel. And until we understand that, we don't know that. There are a couple of blessings that in particular are given to the children of God. One of them is that when you're a child of God, you can come to the Father and you can bring your cares to him. You know, when times of trouble, you can come to the Father and say, Father, I've, I've got this problem. I've got this worry. I've got this heartache. And the Father says, come to me. Come to me. And I'll comfort you. I'll give you words of wisdom. Your brothers and sisters will pray for you and help you through that troubled time. And that's a blessing that the children of God, the fellow heirs of Christ have because they have understood the gospel and they've been obedient to it. And it says here, we can be fellow heirs through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, that's how we become a child of God, is when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we, can, we become fellow heirs, children of the inheritance of God. Tonight, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you need to come to your Father, and you need the prayers and strength of your brethren, come. If you need to obey the gospel tonight, come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.